Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Y'all like Christmas time? I do. I love it a lot. I like the decorations. I like the food. I like everything about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm really excited to to bring something to you guys today. I uh, I spent some time in prayer, and I just feel like I have something for us all. And so, um, I'm gonna go ahead and just jump into it. So, um, when I was growing up, my family is very artistic. It's a family that my dad started the children's theater here in Greenville. Um, so I grew up in the theater, and I can talk about stage blocking and set designs and costumes and all that and all day. And my mom, who's here, she's super talented in, like, decorating. And, uh, like, her house is really uniquely decorated. It's not your typical thing, but it just works. And it's super cozy and warm. And my sister's in theater, and she's uh, just super artistic and very talented in the gift of teaching theater. And so my whole life, I grew up around art, and I have a great respect for art. Um, I just, I can look at a painting, and, you know, some guys would, they like to go shoot stuff, but I'd rather watch a really great movie or, you know, look at a painting. I like to go to museums, actually, and stuff like that. Um, So, but something that came out of that was when I was really young, my dad would tell me the story about a artist named Picasso. His first name is Pablo. And in my opinion, he's next to my dad, probably the best artist I've ever seen. And in my opinion, the most influential artist that had ever come out uh, because he really made abstract expressionism. And that's the kind of art where it, a lot of people are like, that's weird. But it, it's a distorted picture of someone. He really started that movement. Um, and so my father uh, told me the story at a young age. He would say that Pablo, Picasso's mom, would come to Pablo and say, Pablo, he was Spanish, she'd say, if you go into the religious world, you'll become the Pope. And she'd say, if you go into the political world, you will become the president. If you go into the science world, you'll be the greatest scientist the world's ever seen. My dad would tell me that story, and then as I grew up, he would put me in that story. He'd say, Dylan, if you go in the religious world, you'll be the Pope. If you go in the political world, you'll be the president. And the Lord spoke to me. um, One day I I was with him, and he just brought this to my memory. He said, do you know what your dad was doing to you in that time? I said, no, Lord. I don't. He said, he was instilling destiny inside of you. He was putting a purpose inside of you that he was making you believe that your life counted for something and that it was meant to be something great. My mom, who's here, she would meet me. And uh, when I first started meeting the Lord, when I was 14, I met the Lord. And he really changed my life. And I don't have a story that is super wild and crazy, but I do know that the Bible says that we all fall short of the grace of God. 
we all need a Savior. And so Jesus changed my life. And my mom would sometimes, we'd talk about it, and I'd, I'd be like, Mom, I feel like God's calling me to this preaching and the teaching. And, and she would say, well, you, you, you can be the next Billy Graham. But she would instill that, and that's what I grew up in, was a sense of your life on this earth is meant for something great. And uh, so that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. But do you know that heaven is declaring that over you? That it's not just human beings, but literally the spirit realm of heaven is declaring over you that you were meant for something amazing on this earth. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. So there's a race that's set before you. There's something you're called to run towards. But not just that, that there's a cloud of witnesses I said it in first service. Paul could be listening to me right now, cheering me on, saying, go do and preach the gospel, right? I believe that. I really believe that. And so I just want to talk today about what heaven's calling you to do. And uh, in Psalm 139.16, it says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That there's a book that's written on your life. There's a book in heaven that says Trey Parkinson. And God's going to pull it off the shelf. He's going to open it up. He's going to say, Trey Parkinson, this is his life. Are you living it? Are you doing what I called you to do? Are you making the impact I called you to make on the earth? for my kingdom and my glory. And I want to show, we're going to go through some text here about how Jesus did this with his disciples, specifically Simon Peter. So um, if you would open your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use um, to Luke 5. And I'm just going to read the text first and then we can kind of dive into it. It's It's a little chunk of scripture, so hang in there with me. Um, But I really believe that. And before that, I just want to pray. I just, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your life. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're with us. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come. And I'd rather not speak if you weren't here. So I just ask you to come, Lord. And just be on this. So I'm just going to read out of Luke 5.1. Uh, and then we'll we'll explore some things. So one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. 
And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with the fish with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, um, as were the others with them. His partner James and John and the sons of Zebedee were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. <clears throat> so, I want to put ourselves in that story, okay? Sometimes we can read Scripture and it becomes just something we read. But I want to think about this. Peter was a real man. Jesus was a real man. He was a son of God, obviously. But these were real people, just like you and I. And so, I don't know about you, I'm not much of a fisherman at all, but I would imagine if you're fishing as a commercial fisherman all night long, and you catch nothing, you're probably pretty upset. I don't think Peter was too happy during this encounter. And so, in my mind, I don't know about y'all, but to me, Peter is just a barrel of a man. Like, 6'4", just just stocky, big brute, okay? I kind of see that in his personality, but that's the way I see him. I'm not saying God showed me that. That's just how I see him. And so you can imagine Peter, the night's over. He's probably really upset, right? He's, he's like, guys, we didn't catch any fish. I got to go home to my wife and tell her that I haven't caught anything. And I don't have any income. I don't have anything else. And this is dumb. So go over there, clean the nets, get it out, get the seaweed out of there, and we're going home because I'm fed up and this is stupid. And I I just think Peter probably wasn't too happy. And then he looks off in the distance and he sees this carpenter named Jesus who thinks he's the son of God, but he's Joseph's son. And he's preaching something that you're like, I don't know, this, this guy's crazy, this is the weirdest thing, I didn't catch any fish, and that guy over there who builds furniture is telling me that he's the son of God. So you can imagine Peter probably comes over to his boys, and James and John, clean it up, let's get out of here, let's go home. And then imagine, I'm going to start saying you because we're going to make ourselves Peter. So you're cleaning the nets, right? And the next thing you know, that guy Jesus is walking towards you. And you're like, oh, Yahweh, what's going on? (laughs) And this guy Jesus is like, hey, Peter. And I always imagine Jesus with the biggest smile. Just just happy all the time. Hey, Peter, uh, can I use your boats? You know what, Jesus? Sure. I didn't catch anything on them anyways. I'm actually thinking about cutting them up and selling them for firewood or something, you can have them, all right? So he's like, okay, well, will you just push me out? I I need them to hear my voice. So you get in the boat and you push it out. Then all of a sudden, after he's done preaching, everything's cool then. You're kind of 
happy because, you know, it's delaying you going home and you're just like, I just, this was a terrible day. And Jesus looks at you and he says, hey, Peter, want to go fishing? And I just know Peter was like, "Um, no, I I don't want to go fishing. (laughs) And Jesus, I I imagine, because I see this in the text a lot, Jesus probably, in my mind, said the exact same thing. Hey, Peter, you want to go fishing? And I think uh, Peter probably had a moment where he was like, you know what? This day can't get any worse. All right. Now, I know you're a carpenter, Peter. I mean, Jesus, like you don't know about this fishing thing. I've been fishing my whole life. Okay, I don't know why you're telling me to throw my nets out, but if you say so, I will. And I think, honestly, he's heard about Jesus. James and John, it says James and John were following John the Baptist, and then they, they, so they heard about Jesus. And I, I honestly, I can't prove this, but I think Peter was probably like, well, let's put it to the test. You're calling me to do something? Let's see what you got, Carpenter. If you say so, I'll throw my nets out. Think about it. The nets are probably still wet. They laid the nets out so they could dry, so the next time they cast them, they were, they were lighter. So I got these wet nets, and I think he's rowing the boat out, and then all the other crews are out there on the shore. And they're like, what is Peter doing? Hey, Peter, don't you know we fish at night? Don't you know when the sun's in the sky, the fish go low? And you're going to go catch some fish? That doesn't make sense, Peter. So you've got to think all these things are going through Peter's mind. All right, uh, Jesus, we'll throw our nets out. So they throw the nets out, and you've got to think, Peter's looking at his sundial on his wrist, and he's like, all right, let's get this over with. And this guy, Jesus, is just staring a hole through the back of your head. And all the other fishermen are laughing at you, and they're like, Peter's lost it. He's completely snapped. And then you see out of the corner, I just picture this, out of the corner of your eye, you see the rope move. And I think Peter probably looks at it and he's like, no, that was wind or something. And then you see it really move. And again, Peter, in my mind, is this big guy. He grabs the rope, and he pulls it, and he can't pull it in. He's like, we got fish. We got fish. So he calls James and John. He calls the other boat out. We got fish. It says he hauled in so much fish that the boats were starting to sink. And it says he got back to the shore and he fell to his knees. He he fell to his knees. He said, Jesus, I didn't believe you. I, I... I thought you were a joke. This whole time, even before you were here, I knew about you. I heard about you. But just just go away. Don't be around me. I I mess everything up. I, I, I'm a big brood. I'm a klutz. I'm not even a good fisherman. Just leave. But Jesus does something. In my mind, he gets down on his knees right in front of Peter. And he grabs Peter and he says, Peter, it's all right. 
I'm going to call you to be a fisher of men. And it says Peter dropped everything and he left. And I feel like Peter encountered a lot of things on that boat and in that day. And one of the things that I feel is I feel like this is a prophetic picture of Peter's life. That the Lord, this whole thing, was a story of Peter's life. And that Peter realized, when Jesus is on the boat, I catch fish. When Jesus is on my boat, I catch fish. And I believe that Jesus said, Peter, if you let me on your boat, if you let me on your life, I'll use you to do something great. Peter, if you just let me on your boat, I'll call you to something that'll impact the world, Peter. Just let me on your boat. And so my first question to you guys today is, will you let Jesus on your boat? Just on your little, little boat, your little life. Say, God, I let you on my boat. Because I know with you, I can catch fish in the middle of the day. And when everybody's looking and everybody's laughing, I'll catch fish. And there was something that happened with Peter where Peter said, I'll leave everything for this. That man, I'll leave everything for him. I'll leave my wife. I'll leave my kids. I'll leave my... um, my fish. Do you know that that's all Peter wanted? All Peter wanted was fish. And Jesus gave him fish. He gave him the only thing he wanted. And he said, I'll leave it. I'll leave it behind because I'm going after him. And there has to be a place in our life where we, we get to a place with God where we say, you know what? I don't care what the other fishermen are saying. I don't care what anybody has to say. I'm going after the presence. Because when the presence is on my boat, everything changes. You have to become. There's so many things. Matthew was a tax collector. And it says Matthew, he probably had a table full of money. Right? And he said, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. And he leaves it all behind. That... Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? And in the time of Zacchaeus, it probably wasn't very dignified to climb a tree. But he said, I got to do whatever I have to do to see that Jesus. I have to see him. So you climb a tree and you say, I got to get to him. I have to have him. The Bible says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. God doesn't say that and just expect us to try and then laugh at us. And say, look, Gabriel, they really think they can, they, they can meet me. They really think when they get alone with me that I'm there. No, he says, I'm there. If you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. You've got to be like the woman on the well. I mean, the woman with the issue of blood. She says, if only I can touch his garment. And she gets on her hands and knees and she crawls through the dirt. And people's feet and sweaty it's probably smelly everywhere and she touches his garment and jesus says who touched me and the, the disciples don't understand and they say we're in a crowd everyone's touching you and he said no someone came after me and found me and i felt virtue flow from me 
that blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road. Jesus is walking by. And he says, Son of David, don't pass me by. Son of David, don't pass me by. I have to have you. And it says that the religious Pharisees were sitting there and said, be quiet. Be quiet. There's probably a lot of religious people that would tell you, you need to just be, just don't do that. Right? And Jesus says that you're like whitewashed tombs. Just, just be quiet. But there was something on the inside of blind Bartimaeus that said, I gotta have him. I gotta find him. And I'll pay any cost to find him. I'll pay any cost to have that man in my life. To have that presence in my life. I'll give up sleep. I'll give up TV. I'll give up anything that's getting in the way to find him. And I believe that happened to Peter. You see it there. So with that, I believe first comes the encounter with love with God. You see it with Peter. You see Jesus and he comes down and he says, Peter, it's all right. Everything you've ever done, everything that you've mocked me for, everything you thought I wasn't the son of God, it's all right. But then comes the calling. That love is actually called, it's, Paul says that we're compelled by love. What are we compelled into? To do works for God. To impact the world like I was saying before. To leave an imprint on the world that says, I live for Jesus and He is King. And that every person I come into contact with, I want them to know You, Father, more than when they first met me. And so, uh, you see this in, in Ephesians 2.8.10 2, 8 through 10, it says, God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. There's so much in that. You're the masterpiece of God. You could preach a whole sermon on that. But the fact that he says God had plans for you before the foundations of the earth. Remember the book that's written in Psalms on your life. He has something for you to do in this life. You're not just a mistake. You're not just here just by happenstance. You could have been born at any time, anywhere, on any continent. But he said this was the time that you were made. The book of Esther says that she was born for such a time as this. That applies to us. And so, <clears throat> Jesus calls Peter. He says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to use you to impact the world. And then, I just want to go to, if you could, just flip your Bibles to John chapter 21. And I know that some of you probably in this room are saying, yeah, well, that's Peter. God wants to use Billy Graham or, you know, God wants to use these, these high and mighty people, but not so much me. You know, I'm sure it was really easy back when Jesus was around. You know, he tells you he's going to use you, but not so much me. 
Well, I kind of want to debunk that myth. So I'm going to again read through John 21. And, uh, and then we'll kind of dissect it. It says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples. Again, this is after Jesus' death. He's resurrected now, and they haven't seen him. They've seen him three times. But they're still kind of confused. And it says, Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. And they all said, we'll come too. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who He was. And He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? They said, no, they replied. Then He said, throw out the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were too many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said, Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water, and he headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the, the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Isn't that amazing? You know, God is so intimate with you that He cooks His disciples' fish and bread, that He actually makes them breakfast. The God of the universe makes them breakfast. I just think that's amazing. And he says, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Jesus said to Simon Peter, went went abroad and dragged the net to the shore. And there were 150 large fish, and yet the net hadn't broken. And it goes on. It's an amazing story, but that's the part I want to focus on. And... uh, These two stories, obviously, you can see they're super paralleled. It's very similar. One's when Jesus is before His resurrection. The second is after His resurrection. And you've got to think, when Peter was on that boat and he hadn't caught fish, he probably had the thought, the last time I hadn't caught fish, Jesus was here. And the last time I didn't catch any fish all night, my Savior was here. And now I denied him three times and he's gone. And I don't have him back. I've seen him a couple times, but he's still not here. And you've got to imagine what the enemy was saying to him. Look at what you've done, Peter. Jesus said you're going to be a rock. And on this rock, he's going to build his church. You're no rock. You betrayed him. You're just like Judas. You've got to think those thoughts were going through his mind. But then something miraculous happened. The Lord Jesus shouts from the beach, Throw your nets out again, Peter. Throw them out. 
Let's see what you get. And he throws his nets out. It says that it was so full again that it took them all to haul it in. But Jesus took off. He's going to get, I mean, Peter took off. He's going to find Jesus. And God showed me something in this. And it says, actually, in 1 Peter, later in the Bible, and I think it's so amazing that Peter wrote this, that we have been given everything we need to live a life of godliness. And I believe Peter had a revelation that day that the presence of Jesus wasn't on the boat, but the presence of God was still on the boat. Why? Because prior to this, Jesus had met them and he breathed into the disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So now the Spirit of God that was just with Jesus, he's now imparted to all the disciples and they catch fish. Why? Because the presence of God is still on the boat. And what's interesting is in the first one, it says that the nets were breaking. In this one, it says large, uh, there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. And Jesus actually says, he says, it's better that I go so that he will come. He will come. And, and Roy talks about this a lot. I sometimes don't know if I look at my life and say, man, is it better that I'm here than Jesus? But the truth is, is that Jesus said that. He said, it's better that I go. Why? Because now there's a whole bunch of little Christ-like ones running around. And they can talk to people that Jesus, when he was in the natural, never could talk to. He can reach people that Jesus in the natural couldn't reach people in America in 2018, but you can. Your life can mean something. Your life can impact someone. And I just, I get this picture of we're all like a bunch of hands and we just leave an imprint on the earth. And I just want to ask you, what do you want your life to say? What do you want your life to say when, when either I'm going first or you're going first? And we're going to be in a casket and we're going to be in heaven and it's going to be amazing. But what do you want people to say about your life? Do you want them to say, that man knew God. That woman, she walked with Jesus in a way that I've never seen. And the love that came out of them, it so impacted my life that I didn't know God as well as I did when they came into my life. And I asked this in first service, what, what are you living for? Is it... Oh man, I I really did well. I saved a bunch of money, put a bunch of money in savings, and I made a ton. And there's nothing that's okay if your heart is towards the Lord. But what do you want people to say? What do you want to leave? You know, a legacy is who you leave behind, but your destiny is what you leave behind. And so I I just really want that to happen and I felt like God asked me to share a story with you guys um, as I close up and the Lord met me when I was 14 I got born again when I was 16 I had a vision and the Lord came and he showed me what I was going to do with my life and it was very clear and and since that day I've I haven't been perfect I've been messy and 
but I've tried my best to stay that course because I'm in love with him. Remember, first is the encounter with love, and then that compels us to do something and to mark the earth. And so I've made decisions in my life, and I've, I've, I've fumbled around at times, but I've tried my best to say I'm going after what you've spoken over my life. And I just want to tell some of you guys, you live with red lights, but God says you have a green light. God says you have a green light over your life. My heart in, in preaching the gospel is one of the things God's called me to do. It's a yes. It's a yes. And I trust my relationship and I trust him that if he ever tells me not to, I'll say no. But I, I just encourage you, don't live with a no. Live with a Yes. And, and when you get the opportunity to do what it is God's called you to do, you say yes. Some of you, what if the church was the most amazing place that the greatest businessmen that ever walked the earth came out of the church? And people looked at their life and said, I don't understand their tactics in business, but they know someone who's helping them. What if the greatest scientists and the greatest doctors, what if you go into a doctor's office, if you're a nurse or a doctor, and it says, yeah, we're going we're gonna to perform the procedure, but before that, I just want to pray for you. I believe the kingdom of heaven will touch your life as he touched mine. I believe you can be healed in this moment. And so in my life, I've had that calling on my life, and it's taken me different places, as Roy said. And one of the places I went was Africa. And I saw God do amazing things in Africa and touch people and one of the speakers that spoke, this was really fascinating to me, he said that every miracle that Jesus performed as far as healing happened in the Old Testament, except for one, and that was blind eyes opening. I thought that was really fascinating and super prophetic, right? He opens the blind eyes. But you can look through the Old Testament. There's not a case of a blind eye opening until Jesus. And so he said something, and he said, you know Jesus is near you when you start seeing blind eyes open. And don't make that some weird, it's, it doesn't mean if you have it, Jesus, it, that's not what he meant. But I grabbed hold of it. And I said, you know what, Jesus, I want to see a blind eye open. I do. I, what, do you, what happens when you read this Bible? Do you just read it and say, well, that was cool for Peter. That was cool for Elijah and Elijah. And they really knew God. And it said Enoch walked with God so well that he just wasn't one day. And God just took him. You know what happens when I read this? I say, I want that. God, I want to walk with you one day where I'm 87 years old. And hopefully I'm married by then. And, <laughs> and my wife like comes home with her cane or whatever. And I'm just gone. Right? Like, I'm just gone. My body's not there because I'm just, I'm just friends with God. I believe that. Like, I, I, I believe that I want to see the dead raised. I want to impact the world. Not for my sake. I'm nobody. Seriously. I'm just, I'm no one. But I believe God said, I'll use that. That's the one I'll use. And I believe he's looking at each of us. He's saying, that's the one I'll use. So I was in Africa, and I prayed for probably five blind people, and I didn't see any healing. Most people, I think, would get super discouraged. And they'd say, well, okay, well, maybe that's not for me. It didn't stop me. So maybe a year after I was in Africa, I went on a trip with a, 
another guy here in town, a, a minister. And we, it was awesome. And we were at this old church. It was a Baptist church, right? We just got to present the gospel to him and just say, look, God, I, this same message that God wants to use you. And this little old lady, she's probably 80-something years old. She comes up with her husband. She was celebrating her 50th wedding anniversary that, year, that week. And she was completely blind in her left eye. And she said, I believe God can heal me. And I said, I believe He will and He will. Just like that. I said, He will heal you. And I talk about that. There's something in faith. There's something in confidence. And a lot of people, we don't move in faith because we're worried that we'll tarnish His name. God's not worried about you tarnishing His name. If you walk in integrity and character and in love, you're not going to tarnish His name. He wants you to believe. And I said, you will be healed. And I laid my hand on her. Just very simple. I put my hand on her eye. And I prayed one time and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command this eye to open. And she heard a pop in the natural in like the back of her eye. And she began to just weep and cry. An 85-year-old woman. Why? Because God loves her. And I, I did the little test, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, he did it! He did it! I'm like, God loves you so much! And I, 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 I said, how many fingers am I holding up? And she covered her, her uh, previously good eye, and now they're both good. She, I did two, and then three, five, and I keep backing up. And we're jumping, and we're so happy. And she had to give up her license. Uh, she couldn't drive because... She was that impaired. I said, you drive home today. I hope she didn't because she didn't have her license. But I was like, I told her husband, I was like, you let her drive home. Yeah, don't break the law. Um, but I just want to end with this. I, I could have been discouraged. I could have said, maybe... Maybe God doesn't want me to preach the gospel. And what if I would have aborted what God had put on my life? And through over those years, what if I would have said, nope, I didn't see it the first time. I didn't see it the second time. I haven't preached in three years. But I stayed the course and I said, God, if you just come on this boat, lives will be changed. And I'm just your little boat. And everywhere you go, what do you want people to say in your job site? You may not be called to preach to millions like Billy Graham. But what do you want people to say when you're, when you're all you lay concrete in here? You lay concrete. And, and what do you want people to say about your life? You want them to say that man knew God. And he impacted my life and he changed me. And so, I, I, Matthew twenty two fourteen says, For many are called, but few are chosen. And what that means is that every one of us have an opportunity. Many are called, but few step into what God's actually called them to do. Few actually say, I'm going after you. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to be used by you, God. Because you're worth it.
and the people that I come into contact with are worth it. And you died on a cross so that they would know you. You died on a cross so that sickness would leave. And you died on a cross so that I could prophesy and speak destiny into people's lives. And when you grab hold of your destiny, then you can speak other people's destiny. I pray this prayer a lot. I say, God, I'll open my mouth. If you fill it, I'll speak. I don't want to be someone who has a bunch of prophetic insight, but I just sit back and I don't speak on to people. And I, I see a lot of things on people's life, but I just, I just sit back. If God's given you that ability to speak destiny into people and prophesy, use it. Do something with it. And so I just, if everyone could just stand, I'm just going to pray and we're going to just make a declaration. You guys can do this, man. You can change the world. If this little church decided to live with purpose, I'm telling you, the city of Greenville will forever be changed. There's 300, 200, I don't know, people at this church. That's all it takes. He changed the world with 12. 12. He changed the world with 12 people. So God, just repeat after me, say, God, I thank you that you've given me everything that it takes to do what you've called me to do. God, I just thank you for your spirit that I'm not a mistake. I'm not just, you don't have to repeat this part. I, I'm just going to pray over y'all. You're not, just, you're not just here. You're here for a purpose. And you're not just called to love God, but you're called to love God with a purpose. And so I just bless you that going into 2018, would you get alone with Him and say, God, what have you called me to do on my little boat? What have you called me to do? And some of you, I believe some of you really... You may have to change careers. Some of you, God may have called to be a preacher. Some of you, God may have called to to be an accountant. And you may have to go back to school. But I really believe if you get alone with Him, He will speak what He's called you to do. And then when you're in that place, what do you do? You preach the gospel. You heal the sick. You bring freedom to the captives. So I just bless you. I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Jesus. I thank you that you give purpose to our lives. You give meaning to our lives, God. Just like you did, Peter. That no matter what we've done, you say, Peter, I'm going to use you to catch some fish. And you're going to catch lots of fish. You're going to catch men and women. So God, I just bless this church and I bless us as we go into 2018 to take time and say, God, what is it you're calling me to do? And I'll leave everything behind for you, for that presence, to have you close to me. I bless you guys in Jesus' name. Amen.